Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom as conference play is about to begin for the Ohio State football team. Buckeyes preparing to take on Wisconsin this week in their fourth straight game at Ohio Stadium. Their third home night game in four weeks to begin the season. Certainly a highly anticipated game for the Buckeyes and one they'll be entering with some momentum because Ohio State, well, the offense was good on Saturday night. The offense scored on seven straight possessions to begin the game, 11 of its first 12 possessions as Ohio State routed Toledo 77-21 in its final non-conference game. Griffin, I don't think either of us ex- quite expected that. You know, we thought that, you know, Toledo was a better team than Arkansas State. We thought Toledo would give Ohio State some competition, but you know, Ryan Day said at the skull session before the game that you know, now's the time to dominate. That's that's what they wanted to do. It was evident that they weren't quite thrilled with how that Arkansas State game went, and they wanted to come out and make a statement on Saturday, and they certainly did that. Yeah, Dan, we, we talked about kind of the letdown performance in, the, in that first game in regards to the Ohio State offense and how, you know, we had hyped up the offense all offseason to be this, you know, unstoppable, unstoppable juggernaut and how, you know, it, it might not ever be able to live up to quite the standards of, you know, what we were talking about there, but but this was like the offense that we had kind of constructed in our mind over the offseason, talking about all the different weapons, all the different players that could make an impact for the team, all the talent, you know, guys that might not even play a lot in, in, in bigger games. We saw guys that, you know, next year and in years, you know, coming up might make more plays for the Ohio State offense. Everybody was scoring in this game, Dan. I mean, Ohio State pulled out, you know, all, it's, it's, it's extensive bag of tricks here in this game and and like you said 77 points 763 yards nearly a historic game in terms of total yards for the offense and it seems like everybody was getting in on the action den yeah Ohio State was in its bag you could say that was really just a an all-around fantastic performance for Ohio State I mean certainly that starts with CJ Stroud who had a fantastic performance he went 22 of 27 for 367 yards and five touchdowns he you know I thought I think he's played well all year but I think he took it to another level in that game against Toledo and was fantastic Uh, we saw you know eight different players score including walk-on running back T C Cappy, you had the highlight of the night on a, a 48-yard touchdown run where you know, he kind of ran into the pile, looked like he was going to get stopped, spins his way out of it, breaks a couple tackles on his way to the end zone. What a moment for him, for a guy who just lost his black stripe last week and who's the coaches really like what they've seen from him, even though he's a walk-on. A great moment for him. You know, we saw Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka continue their great starts to the season. Both of them had big games. Julian Fleming had two touchdowns, a a big game for him in his first game back from injury. Cade Stover really starting to emerge as a a real passing threat at that tight end position, perhaps more than we've seen from that position in quite some time. And the game plan, you know, I mean, I I, I couldn't help but think back to a couple weeks ago when we were getting questions about whether Ryan Day should give up Ohio State offensive play calling and people were questioning if, you know, Ohio State was being creative enough on offense and Saturday almost felt like a response to that with, with the game plan that they had. Lots of different concepts that we hadn't seen yet from Ohio State this year. I, you know, I think just in all areas, Ohio State was really firing on all cylinders on offense and it showed us just how good this offense can be. Yeah, Dan, and, and everyone was excited to see Jackson Smith and Jigba return to the fold this week for Ohio State. 
you know, what's what's the passing game going to look like now that Ohio State gets its best receiver back in the mix? But I mean, obviously, the, the Buckeyes didn't need the the services of him in particular all that much because the final stat line for JSN on Saturday was just two catches for 33 yards on three targets overall. He was not one of the three Buckeye wideouts that ended up with 100 yards receiving. Emeka Abuka does it for the second straight week, hauling in seven passes for 116 yards and a touchdown. He also had a rushing touchdown. His first three games of the season, Dan, have been just tremendous for the Buckeyes. Marvin Harrison with his second straight huge game as well for Ohio State. He had six catches for 102 yards, two touchdowns through the air. And, you know, he, he continues to, to pull in just some ridiculous catches in the end zone for the Buckeyes so far this season and then Jaden Ballard as well you know a guy that that's a guy we're talking about you know of the Ohio State wide receivers that had to kind of step up in the first two weeks we didn't see a whole lot of Jaden Ballard in terms of actually making plays downfield and things of that nature but he has his first really big highlight reel moment as a Buckeye with that what was it a 72 yard a touchdown catch or something like that in the second half there he gets over 100 yards and man, but, but Dan, I mean, perhaps the, the most surprising thing of all in the game in terms of pass catchers for Ohio State was the impact that Cade Stover had, you know, making plays downfield once again. He ended up he ended up having a 83 yards on, on just three catches. There was a 38-yard reception in there, five targets for Cade Stover. And Dan, he really should have had a touchdown wide open in the end zone on one play. And C.J. Stroud has said a couple times to us now that he was really kicking himself that he couldn't find the, the big guy in the, in the end zone there to reward him for the work he's been doing. Yeah, I think Saturday really put on display just how many weapons this Ohio State offense has. I mean, I think both Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka are becoming the stars that we expected them to be. I mean, you, you know, you talk about this is a team that just had two first-round receivers this past year's draft in Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Everybody expects Jackson Smith and Jigba will be that a year from now. And I think Marvin and Emeka are already starting to position themselves as guys who in 2024 could be first-round NFL draft picks. And so I think both those guys, they just seem to keep getting better and better, and they're becoming real stars for this offense. You know, certainly to see Julian Fleming come back and make some plays, you know, that just bolsters that depth. You know, I think he's... He's that firmly that fourth receiver now, and I think he's a guy that certainly, if he can stay healthy, he can certainly make an impact for him. You know, I think that was big for Jaden Ballard. We had talked, you know, last week about how you know Ryan Day seemed like he was kind of challenging Jaden Ballard. He, he kind of was harping hard on of the penalty that Jaden Ballard had against Notre Dame, and we didn't see him do much against Arkansas State. But for him to have that kind of performance late in the game against Toledo, I think that's big for him to get some momentum. I mean, Kate Stover, I mean, you mentioned, I mean, he, right now you look at his numbers compared to what Ohio State's had at the tight end position in recent years. He's on track to have the most productive season by a tight end in some time at Ohio State. Now we'll see if that holds, but I mean, we, we, we heard about it before the season. We saw it when we were out at preseason camp in August that Cade was making plays in the big passing game. And I think, I think we both kind of had a healthy dose of skepticism there that that would actually lead to a whole lot during the season just because how many times have we have we heard the offseason storylines of maybe this will be the year they throw to the tight ends more and then it doesn't happen I mean we, we thought it would happen with Jeremy Ruckert and it never happened with him but with Cade it, it seems like you know they, they, they're you know, figuring something out there. They're figuring out a way to utilize him. I mean, we've seen it a lot. They've done it a lot off of play action where a lot of times, you know, they, they look like they're going to run the ball and then, you know, that allows Kate to get open. And when Kate has gotten open, he's been able to make those big plays, which is only going to make them more inclined to continue to utilize him in that way. And so, you know, I think 
you know, you, you saw in Saturday's game that, you know, it, it, it's not just the Jackson Smith and Jigba show, but Ohio State has a lot of other weapons too. The one thing I would say, though, is I don't think it should be discounted the impact just that Jackson Smith and Jigba's presence makes on the field. Yeah, he he only made a couple catches. Yeah, he didn't play that much. But I think even just adding him back into the mix, forcing defenses to account for him, because we saw what he could do last year, just forcing defenses to account for him makes a difference because even if you're not certain if that guy's 100%, you, you are still going to have to cover him like he is. He's too dangerous not to. And so that helps open things up for everybody else. And now if, if you've got Marvin and Emeka clicking and you've got Julian out there, you've got Cade Stover emerging as a pass threat, and you're running the ball as well as they have been, man, it becomes a really difficult offense for any defense to stop. That's for sure. And let's talk about the running game as well for Ohio State, which had its, its best game of the season so far for Ohio State. 44 carries for 281 yards and five touchdowns on the ground for the Buckeyes in that 11-touchdown performance. That's still just even looking at those stats just blows me away there. But, Dan, it wasn't Travion Henderson having a huge explosive game for, you know, perhaps the first time. I was looking at his stats going into this game. He had been on a seven-game streak, Dan, without a 100-yard game, which I was like, man, wow. Like, I know at the tail end of last year he didn't have a lot of those big performances. Obviously, as Ohio State kind of struggled to run the ball. Then to open up this year, splitting carries with Mayan Williams in the first two games, getting close to some 100-yard performances. I, I, I thought going into this one, like this this would certainly make sense as a game where Travion Henderson could have a big statement game before the Buckeyes start their, their Big Ten schedule here. You'll remember last year what he did against Tulsa, you know, maybe a, a similar you know level of opponent there and everything like that. But Dan, he he was the you know the feature back on the opening scoring drive for the Buckeyes. He had four carries for 19 yards and the first touchdown of the game for Ohio State. But then after that, he goes back to the locker room for the Buckeyes. Doesn't come back. Does doesn't play in that game again. And which you know is obviously a concern for the Buckeyes moving forward. And we'll talk a little bit more about some of the injury issues that that are, are is kind of on the forefront of our mind coming out of this game. But but you know after that, Mayan Williams comes into the game, ha- has another very nice game for the Buckeyes. He he ends up with ten carries, seventy-seven yards, no touchdowns on the day. But Dan, how about this? The first Ohio State running back to have a hundred a hundred yard game this season is neither Henderson nor Williams. It's actually the true freshman Dallin Hayden. Who in the in the you know lead up to the season he wasn't even going to be the third option for the Buckeyes at running back with Evan Pryor coming on strong in the preseason before his season-ending injury, but Hayden you know by all accounts did some impressive things in those couple weeks before the the season started, and you know he had 17 carries for 108 yards and a touchdown, including a 45-yard run in that mix as well, looking very impressive. You know Ryan Day can, continues to rave about him. And Dan, like you mentioned, you know he wasn't. Dallin Hayden wasn't even, uh, you know, the the only running back beyond the, fir- the the first two guys to even have a big day. As we talked about, TC Caffey, you know, who, who had just lost his black stripe just a couple days before the game. You know, that that kind of seemed like kind of a footnote when I was writing up the little piece on Eleven Warriors. But then here he comes, you know, just a couple days later, making making huge plays for the Buckeyes in the run game. Yeah, I mean, I think it's huge for you know Dallin Hayden to have that kind of performance because you know we had talked about it after Evan Pryor went down that your running back depth could be an issue for this team you know with only having you know two 
healthy scholarship running backs if it weren't true freshmen. I think that was a concerning thing coming into the season. And, you know, you had to figure at some point that scenario is going to happen. One of those top two running backs is going to get banged up and they're going to need Dallin Hayden to really come in and play significant snaps. And, and, and he took the baton and ran with it. So, you know, huge for Dallin Hayden to seize that opportunity. And I think, you know, that puts him in a position now where going into conference play, you feel like he's a guy that you can lean on if you need him to. I mean, I, I, I certainly think, you know, Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams are going to remain the top two running backs. And I mean, I think, I think you absolutely could make a case so far this year that Mayan Williams has been Ohio State's best running back. I think they've both, I think they've both done very well when they've been out there on the field, but I think Mayan Williams has had a fantastic season. We've heard Ryan Day really rave about him and how, you know, Mayan's really ahead of where Day thought he would be at this point in the year. And so I think they've got a really strong one-two punch. And then to have Hayden emerging behind him, now all of a sudden, what we may have thought was a weakness in terms of depth, it's almost starting to become a strength. I mean, it's not in terms of the overall numbers, like you'd still love to have another scholarship running back in that mix that's healthy. But, I mean, you've got, again, I mean, probably the best one-two punch in the country in Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams. Dallin Hayden's really looking good, really a guy that looks like, you know, they can count on him to play this year as needed. And then even T.C. Caffey, I mean, he looks pretty damn good for a a walk-on freshman. And so, you know, great indicator there for Ohio State at running back. Again, I mean, just going along, if we were talking about at wide receiver, I mean, you can talk about it at tight end too, even with Mitch Rossi and G. Scott. They just have so many weapons. They seem to be so deep at both spots. It's a great thing to have, and it allows Ohio State to really be creative. I mean, a big reason why the offensive staff was able to be as creative as it was against Toledo was because they have the pieces to do these different packages. You know, they feel like, you know, hey, we, if we want to put three tight ends in the game, we can make plays of that because we've got the, the weapons there. And so, yeah, I think, you know, just the depth of weapons on Ohio State's offense right now is is pretty striking and, you know, is what, you know, would give me confidence that Ohio State's offense is going to be able to continue to perform at an elite level, even though we obviously know that tougher competition is coming than Toledo. Yeah, Dan, and, and what was it? Three Ohio State running backs end up with a rushing touchdown. We already mentioned Emeka Buka gets a rushing touchdown as well. Then Mitch Rossi, you know, who's mostly playing tight end this season, obviously he's played fullback in the past, kind of that hybrid tight end fullback role for the Buckeyes. He ends up getting a rushing touchdown as well, a, a one-yarder out of the, you know, the eye formation as, as the fullback. You know, Ryan Day saying after the game that, that it was kind of a nod to the, the, the history of the shoe with this being the, the 100th anniversary, and they've been looking to, to do something like that this year, paying a little homage perhaps to Woody Hayes and things like that. But yeah, that, that just speaks to the, the creativity when you talk about the, all the guys that scored in this game and the different things that Ohio State tried and had success with. And, you know, sometimes with a, a team that's this stacked, you're thinking like, man, how is this guy going to end up having all that much of an impact for the offense because there's so many other guys the ball could go to. But this game was just like a primary example of, you know, if every guy can get the ball and gets his touch and his share in a game, something like this can happen, which is like a truly, you know, kind of just awe-inspiring performance by the Ohio State offense. Yeah, I mean, pretty crazy stat when Travion Henderson is the fourth leading rusher and Jackson Smith and Jigba is the sixth leading receiver in a game for Ohio State. That really speaks to it. Though, I think if I'm going to pick any stat that blows my mind from this game, 
It's the fact that Ohio State entered the game 40th in total offense and is now first in total offense because Ohio State came very close to breaking the school record for total offense in this game. Ohio State had 763 total yards. I believe they needed 13 more yards to match the record of 776 that Ohio State had against Bowling Green in 2016. Well, Dan, it's funny you say that because on the other side of the, you know, with Toledo, they came in and had all these, you know, amazing defensive rankings in terms of, you know, the, the national rankings and stuff like that. They came in with the number four, I believe, total defense in the country. Obviously, the, the level of competition they played was not Ohio State. So we weren't like trying to convince anybody that that meant that Toledo was one of the, the best defenses in the country per se, but entered with the number four ranking in total defense after the Ohio State game, after giving up, you know, nearly 800 yards of total offense, they rank 80th in the country in total defense, which is, you know, pretty telling. We've talked about everyone on the offense except the offensive line. I think one other guy that we got to give some love to is Dewan Jones because just rewatch of a game and he was mauling people out there in a the run game. And, you know, I know he's a guy that took some flack, you know, after the Notre Dame game, he had free false starts in that game. But I mean, I thought the offensive line as a whole played great in that game. I mean, I thought they were opening up a, a lot of big holes. I mean, even like Day kind of mentioned it with Dallin Hayden. Like, Dallin Hayden looked good, but there were also a lot of times that he had big lanes to run through. And so I think the offensive line as a whole did a great job, but I think to, to single out one person in particular, I thought Dewan Jones had a fantastic game against Toledo. Against a defensive line that's not a bad defensive line. I mean, they've got multiple players on that defensive line who are legitimate NFL prospects. And so uh, I thought a really strong performance for the offensive line heading into conference play and heading into what we know will be a really big test for that offensive line this week against Wisconsin. You had zero sacks and only two TFLs for the Toledo defense in that game. And, and then you talk about as well, just, just, just to mention Dallas Gant as well for the Rockets, obviously the former Buckeye, he ends up with five tackles, but, you know, not not really a huge impact on that game or, or anything like that, that unless, you know, you picked on, up on something that I did not then. No, I mean, I mean, I don't think that it, anyone was necessarily expecting he was going to have, a, you know, a Khalil Mack type performance <laughs> against Ohio State. I mean, I don't you know, I don't think he had a bad game. I think Toledo was just overmatched. Yeah, for sure. Dan, let's move on to the other side of the ball here, because, you know, Ohio State had two very impressive defensive performances coming into this game here having only given up 22 points combined in the first two weeks only giving up you know not giving not even allowing a touchdown in the last time out against Arkansas State holding them to all field goals but in the the first what was it, the first half alone against Toledo you know Ohio State had already given up more touchdowns in that first half than they'd given up all season because they they allowed 14 points in the first two quarters Daquan Finn as well for, for Toledo a, a guy that had a lot of mobility we, we talked about that in the lead up that this was a guy that could make some plays with his feet as well as his arm although we we kind of had said the the same thing in the first two games though right like you know the quarterbacks for for, for Notre Dame and Arkansas State could could potentially do some things there and Ohio State didn't really have all that much you know, trouble with those guys. But in this game, Dan, you know, Finn was was definitely making some plays with his legs. You know, he was looking like a 2006 Mike Vick or something out there. That's what I tweeted during the game, at least running around all over the place. What was his, his rushing touchdown, Dan? What was the yardage on that one? 23 yards, 23 yard rushing touchdown. And and Jim Knowles uh, talking to him on Tuesday, the press conference at the Woody Hayes athletic center. He was not too thrilled about Ohio state defended, you know, Finn in that game. And, you know, also saying it was tough for the Buckeyes to simulate a scrambling quarterback of that caliber in practice. But even regardless of that fact, 
wasn't too happy with how the Buckeyes defense played in that game. Yeah, I thought Ohio State would do a little better handling Daquan Finn as a runner just because, you know, we had seen him do well against Tyler Buckner in week one. But really, I think a lot of the credit should just go to Daquan Finn. Like, I think Daquan Finn's a good player. Like, I'm going to be really interested to see how he does over the course of the rest of a season in the MAC. Because, I mean, I think a lot of it, you know, a lot of times – Ohio State was getting pressure on him, and, and he was just faster than a defensive lineman. He was just making great plays. And so I, I think a lot of it is just credit to Daquan Finn. Now, certainly it's something that Ohio State is going to need to work on because if they face other quarterbacks who are similar to him, that does appear to be a vulnerability a little bit in this defense. You know, I think of how aggressive they are. Yeah, that can sometimes leave them susceptible to if they lose contain on the quarterback, then, then he can go for a big gain. And I think we saw that in this game more than we did in the first two games. But, you know, I think overall, I mean, it, it, it certainly compared to the first two games wasn't as strong of a performance from the defense. I also don't come out of a game thinking like, man, that was a horrible performance by the defense. I, I come out of it more thinking, Daquan Finn's a baller. Like he, he, he played well. Like someone, a silver sniper asked us, how many Big Ten quarterbacks would you take in front of Finn? And I haven't done really done a math on that, but like, yeah, I look at him and like, that's a guy who could play in the Big Ten. Like Ryan Day said on Tuesday that Graham Mertz is the best quarterback Ohio State has faced so far this season. I, I would disagree with that assessment personally. I, I, I would say Daquan Finn is the best quarterback Ohio State has faced so far this season. Maybe Mertz will surprise us, but uh, I would I would say I, I think Daquan Finn is a is a better or at least a more dangerous quarterback to Ohio State this past weekend than I think Graham Mertz will be this week. So I, I think you know he played really well and I think you know he he made some great plays. Toledo made some big plays. You know I do think one stat that is interesting and, and semi concerning is the fact that the Buckeyes have allowed a 50 yard passing play in every game so far this season. Now, when I asked Jim Knowles about it, he didn't seem too concerned because they have responded to it. And he has said a lot that, you know, it's kind of baked into his expectations for every game that the other team is going to hit some explosive plays. Like that's because Ohio State plays an aggressive style of defense, they expect that they're going to give up some big plays. They don't want to, but, you know, I, I, I don't think Jim Knowles necessarily shocked that that happened i still don't think it's ideal for sure if you're giving up a 50 yard passing play in, in every game but what do you think griffin when you know you see that and then you hear what jim Knowles has to say about it yeah i mean you know we've seen some struggles in terms of ohio state's cornerback play right in, in the the past couple weeks here with denzel burke coming into the season i think everyone thought that he was going to be an absolute sure thing to to kind of repeat what he did last year as a true freshman I mean how could he not get better right he he didn't have any experience last year he has struggled a little bit but Jim Knowles is really standing behind you know Burke here when asked about some of the the criticism that Burke has received saying that you know it's tough living on that island and we're but, but we're 100% confident in Denzel Burke we, we saw you know Cam Brown really get blown by 
for that that long touchdown, which was kind of unusual because Cam Brown has, has long been considered, you know, one of the, the speediest guys on the team and stuff like that. And then he ended up leaving the game at a certain point as with his kind of health status. You know, he's obviously he's been a guy that's, that's gone through some injuries the last couple of years as well. But but I, I don't know what to think about it. I think, you know, it could be a concern once Ohio State starts playing some teams that can really test them downfield more routinely. But I also think that the fact that, you know, kind of that's been the narrative, right, that that even after Ohio State's given up these big plays, it hasn't resulted in just a, a complete letdown or Ohio State suddenly given up, you know, a, a ton of yards and a ton of points. I mean, Toledo, by the end of that game, you know, Finn only ended up with 153 yards passing. He, he was very dangerous and hit some of those really big plays. But if you look at his his passing numbers, you know, 10 for 19 uh, for 153 yards. He also had that interception as well. I mean, I think that's that's indicative of the fact that, you know, the Ohio State defense ended up limiting him pretty well in terms of what he was able to do in the passing game. Yeah, I mean, basically, Toledo hit three big plays for touchdowns. Other than that, o- Ohio State's defense controlled the game. You know what I mean? I mean, it's basically... The first couple of games, Ohio State gave up one big play on, on defense, really. This game, they gave up three. I mean, that, 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 that's basically the difference. And ultimately, Ohio State was in full control of a game. And so I, I, there's nothing that I come out of this game thinking like there's reason for a whole lot of hand-wringing about the defense. I do think if you were going to... If you were going to single out one position group as a concern for this team right now, I, I think you would go with cornerback. Because I, I do think... There's been some inconsistent play from both Burke and Brown so far this year. You know, J.K. Johnson, I think, has been solid when he's been in there, but I, I you know, I still don't know if they trust him to be a, you know, an every-down guy that they can rely on that much at this point. Based on what Ryan Day said Tuesday, it still sounds like Jordan Hancock's probably at least a couple weeks away from getting back on the field, and not a ton of depth there at corner. So I, I do think that that's probably like the biggest question mark of any position group on this team right now is is that cornerback position I I don't think the play there has been stellar and you know it's it's why I've you know I've said you know I'm interested to see this team when it goes up against a really dangerous passing offense which I don't think we've seen yet and I still don't think we're going to see for a couple more weeks but I I still think like that passing defense is probably my biggest question mark with this team but I I think overall, when I look at the performance against Toledo, like, you know, if we're going to grade it, like, you're obviously giving the offense an AA+. Defense, you know, I, I, I'd probably give them a C. I mean, yeah. maybe maybe even a, a C plus or a B-. minus. I mean, I'm not giving them, like, a D or an F because they gave up a few big plays. I think overall, they did what they needed to do. You know, I mean, the first game, I was definitely giving them an A. You know, the next game, you may be giving them a B. Plus this game, you know, not not quite as good as the first two, but there's still nothing that I come out of it feeling like, man, this is a major concern for the defense. Yeah, for sure. And but Dan, let's talk about one player that that had a, a nice game, perhaps a career performance for the Buckeyes on defense. A guy that that's oftentimes the the forgotten man for the Ohio State among especially the, the pass rushers for Ohio State, given you know all the five-star talent and big names in that group. Javante Jean-Baptiste, Jean-Baptiste, I should say. I always think it's more more French than it is on the pronunciation there, but he ends up having a, a strip sack, and uh, which which results in a, a turnover for the Buckeyes, just the second of the season. You know, that was a storyline coming into the game as well, that the Buckeyes haven't forced any turnovers yet. One of just eight teams in the country that had not, but, you know, Jean Baptiste forcing one there after the Hickman interception. He had, he was credited with two sacks on the day for the Buckeyes. 
you know, Ryan Day was asked about him on the radio and he said, you know, that they're not all of the plays he made were, you know, standout ones. He missed a couple of plays, but he still graded out as a champion, you know, thought he, he, he probably could have been the defensive player of the game for Ohio State as well and play and playing a lot in that Jack role as well, Dan, you know, we, we talked so much about Jack Sawyer playing that role, but you know, all preseason and off season, we heard that, you know, JJB was, was playing that position a lot as well. And we got to see him do that quite a bit on Saturday. Yeah. It seems like the trend so far of a season has been, if I question why a guy is playing as much as he is, he comes back the next week and has a great game. Cause <laughs> after the first game, I, I, I kind of said, you know, I thought, uh, you know, Steel Chambers should be playing most of a reps at will over Cody Simon. And I think Cody Simon's played really well the last couple weeks. And then last week I said, you know, maybe I'd play Caden Curry more than I'd play Javante Jean-Baptiste. And then Javante Jean-Baptiste ends up being our defensive player of a game with a couple big plays. So yeah, big, big for him. Cause I mean, he's a guy that I just, I don't think we've really seen him in his career make many of those big plays. So I think for him to get a couple of those under his belt is certainly a big thing for him and and something that he can build off of and, and I, I thought there were a couple other defensive linemen who had, you know, really nice games, too. I thought I thought Tyleek Williams ha- had a really good game. You know, he's kind of been overshadowed so far this year by Mike Hall. But I, I thought he really had a good game on the interior line, was, was disruptive in there. there. There was one sack that was credited to Jack Sawyer, and I'm pretty sure it should have been credited to Tyleek Williams because Tyleek basically just rushed his guy straight back into the quarterback. Though I say that, I also would give credit to Jack Sawyer, too. I think Jack Sawyer ha- has played really well the last couple of weeks hasn't necessarily put up the big numbers yet you know I think people want to see those like big sack numbers that maybe those guys haven't had yet but I think Jack Sawyer playing that Jack role like you talked about I, I think he's done well in that role and I think he's helping I think there's times where he's not necessarily the guy who's making the play that's on the box score but he's doing his job well and helping other guys around him make plays yeah, for sure. I, I put Sawyer down as a guy that, you know, he had a very productive game, as a matter of fact, because he, he ended up with five total tackles, two tackles for loss, and that sack, as you mentioned. You know, I, yeah, I feel like he should have been credited for, like, what, at least a, a half sack on that on that sequence, perhaps, because he kind of flushed the quarterback out of the way. The Tally Williams as well, you know, that was the guy coming into the season we thought, you know, might be the, the breakout player, a defensive tackle. It turns out that it's Mike Hall, which is kind of, you know, not the, the most fortunate situation for Tally Williams, but he stepped up there and had a very nice game as well. You know, Dan, how about Sonny Styles coming in, ends up with three tackles and that, a very nice tackle for loss in the open field there in the backfield on, on what, like a screen pass or something like that. Lathan Ransom continuing to have a stellar season for the Buckeyes coming off of that leg fracture. You know, he has to come up and start for Josh Proctor. You know, after Josh Proctor you know, went down with injury before the game, he ends up leading the team in tackles with six on the day as well. So certainly some some good defensive performances there for several Buckeyes despite the fact that, you know, it's probably the the poorest performance of the season, you know, you would say for the Buckeyes given that they gave up 21 points, nearly as many as they gave up combined in the first two weeks. Last thing on the Toledo game, I know you noticed this and one of our listeners Daniel noticed this too. I think it was right at the start of a game, a little kid ran out onto the field. I, I think he was supposed to be picking up the tee. And then he didn't really know what to do. And RJ Day actually had to come out and, and, and get him off the field. I didn't actually see that happen, but you you did. What, what did you notice there? 
Well, you know, I'm, I'm always like, I'm always thinking I'm like one moment away from like descending in a full like madness at any at any moment. So when I see like RJ Days running off the field, I didn't know if he was holding like a, a doll, like a life size like doll, or what the hell he had in his hands. But it, it was like a, you know, it was a, it was a small child, and and I didn't see the beginning of it anyway. So I'm wondering. Is, is did a small child get loose and you know come out of the stands and run onto the field and like RJ days running after him so it was all very bizarre of you know Dylan one of the other Ohio State beat reporters was like oh that was the kid went out to get the tea and ends up like kind of freezing in the under the lights there not knowing what to do and and kind of getting maybe lost there on the field I certainly did notice that though and tweeted something about it because it was very bizarre and you know RJ days is, is basically him and Brutus are basically the two uh, mascots for the Ohio State uh, Buckeyes these days. I mean, you can't look anywhere without RJ Day being, you know, omnipresent for the Ohio State team. It's it's kind of amusing how much he is around. It would be a little intimidating, I think, if you're a kid and you're running out there and all of a sudden you look up and it's you're under the lights and there's 105,000 people in the stands. Oh yeah, that, that, that's a you know that's certainly a task to give a, a child of that age. But you know, maybe next time he'll he'll get it. Conference play starts this week against Wisconsin, and I think there's a lot of similarities between this game and the Notre Dame game to start the season because you're looking at a team that has one of the top 10 defenses in the country right now. They're an offense that we know they're going to like to run the ball. That's always the way they've been. They're run heavy, but questionable passing game. Do you agree with that assessment that this could be a pretty similar kind of game to what we saw against Notre Dame? Yes, yeah, stylistically, it certainly should be because, you know, Wisconsin, Wisconsin's M.O. has always been, you know, we're going to run the ball. We, they always have you know, a fantastic running back. They always have a really big offensive line. You know, that, that, that the style of play was something that was talked about a lot with Ryan Day on Tuesday. And he said, you know, that Wisconsin, they're, they're not going to deviate from their identity. And, you know, they don't really have a reason to deviate from that identity because, you know, it, it is very successful year in and year out for Wisconsin. You know, I think when we first saw a guy like Graham Mertz come onto the scene, remember what was what was his like his, his first start? He had a really excellent game, whatever seat was at the COVID season in 2020. And it was kind of like, oh, wow, like, you know, what, what could Wisconsin do if they kind of merge their their identity that they have every year with a strong running game and, and physical brand of football with an excellent quarterback? But I think we've seen Mertz be quite inconsistent at times Dan throughout the years since then but yeah it's 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 the type of game that Ohio State has to win based on you know how how it ended up stumbling and losing some games last year they have to play more physical be able to stop the run and run the ball themselves that's what we talked about going into the Notre Dame game it's the same storyline here the only difference is we've actually seen Ohio State have success with those exact things in the past couple weeks so you would think that this might play into Ohio State's strengths but you never really know until you see the teams you know go head to head yeah I mean I think certainly stopping the run is going to be crucial for Ohio State's defense in this game specifically Braylon Allen who's one of the more talented running backs in the country he's a he's a big back has 332 yards five touchdowns so far this year three of those touchdowns coming in Wisconsin's most recent game against New Mexico State he's a guy who really kind of had a breakout season last year as a freshman much like Travion Henderson and is now a clear-cut top back for a Wisconsin Badger. So stopping him is going to be priority number one. This is certainly, I think, one of those games where, you know, we talk about the passing defense maybe being the bigger question, but you want to force Graham Mertz to have to beat you with his arm because we've seen him make mistakes in games where he has been, ha- had to, been forced to 
win the game with his arm. And so certainly job number one here is to stop the run and force Wisconsin to win the game through the air because that's not the way Wisconsin wants to win the game. The way, the way Wisconsin's going to want to play this game is the same way Notre Dame wanted to play the game, which is they're going to want to run the ball. They're going to want to try to control time of possession. They're going to want to try to limit Ohio State's possessions so that Ohio State can't put up the kind of offenses, offensive numbers that it did a week ago. Yeah, for sure. And it was interesting what Jim Knowles said about Braylon Allen, which was in terms of the the big strong the category of like, you know, big running backs, because Braylon Allen's like six two. I don't know what he weighs, but you know, six two for a running back is, is pretty darn big. And and Jim Knowles said that in terms of big backs, he's basically as good as anyone he's ever seen, which is, you know, pretty high praise. Obviously Allen just a second year player for the Badgers as well. And yeah, it's definitely going to be a challenge for the Buckeyes. You think about in the past, though, the last time Ohio State matched up with Wisconsin, a pretty good running back on that Wisconsin team as well, Dan. If you think about Jonathan Taylor, obviously like the, the second leading rusher in, in Wisconsin history, you think about all the, the running backs they've had. Ohio State had a lot of success in their their three, I think, matchups with with Taylor over the years. That season in particular, they had those two the two games and then it was the, the first half of the Big Ten championship game is when Taylor finally got loose against the Buckeyes for really the first time. And we saw, you know, how things can go differently if Ohio State can't stop the run against Wisconsin. But, you know, we're, we're going to see how that matchup is going to play out here. Obviously, you have to think for Ohio State, you're going to want a guy like Mike Hall back, you know, at that defensive tackle spot. But, you know, certainly stopping the run has been a strength for the Buckeyes so far. Yeah, I mean, I think I feel really good about Ohio State's chances if if stopping the run is the key to winning the game. Because, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, Ohio State's run defense, 24 from a country right now, but only allowing 2.6 yards per game. And really, if you take out Daquan Finn's runs in the Toledo game, they'd be one of the top in the country because it was their worst game as a run defense against Toledo, allowing 124 yards. But 70 of those yards came from Daquan Finn. So, you know, if you take those out they it would be 54 rushing yards on 26 carries that's that's basically two yards per carry and so but the run defense in terms of stopping running backs has been pretty dominant and Graham Mertz is not somebody who who's going to be a, a major threat with his legs and so I think this matchup plays into Ohio State's strengths defensively at least what I think Ohio State's strengths are defensively right now yeah for sure and wisconsin is a team that if you look at their defensive rankings right now are right among the the top teams in the country in in almost every category but dan something that's going on with the badgers that could actually play into the strengths of the ohio state offense and of course it's highly potent pass attack is the fact that three defensive backs were supposed to be starters this year you know are potentially going to be out for this game two of them have been out all year and obviously ohio state doesn't need a lot of help when it comes to making plays in the passing game. And this could, you know, mean that Ohio State has even more chances. On the other side of that, though, Wisconsin, I think, is, is tied for only only maybe one team in the country has more interceptions in Wisconsin through the first few games. And Dan, seven different Wisconsin players have an interception so far this season. Yeah, I think that's one where I'm just not sure. Like, I think you, you can see that, like, three of their guys were supposed to be starting defensive backs are going to be out for this game. And you think like, up oh, Ohio state's going to feast, but they've been felt two of those guys all year and, and they've done really well defensively so far. And so I don't know that I necessarily look at that and go, okay, I don't, I, I'm not sure of it. Wisconsin necessarily is going to be as right for a picking as that, you know, stat might make you think now uh, granted at the same time, much like we talked about with Toledo last week, 
Wisconsin has not faced an offense that's like Ohio State. And so this is going to be a much bigger test for Wisconsin's defense. And it's, it's very possible, much like Toledo, that Wisconsin's defense may not prove to be as good as the numbers look right now when they go up against Ohio State. But I, I, I still think you know this is going to be a, a bigger test for Ohio State's offense for sure, probably comparable to the Notre Dame game. I think particularly in the running game, and let's, it's like you talked about before, you know, being able to establish that run and, and play tough. I, I think that's going to be important again for Ohio State in this game. You know, I, I think they'll make they'll make their plays through the air, but I think my question in this game would be okay. We we've seen them do really good, you know, running the ball, finishing off drives, particularly this last week. Will they be able to do that against Wisconsin? I think Wisconsin has a strong defensive front and great, great defensive scheme. Jim Leonard, I mean, it's it's actually a very fun defensive coordinator matchup in this one because I think you could make a case that Jim Leonard and Jim Knowles might be the two best defensive coordinators in the country. And so I, I think that's going to make for a fun matchup in this game with you know both of those defenses trying to draw up whatever they can to slow down the other offense. Certainly on paper, you look at Ohio State being the offense that has the more firepower, but I don't think things are going to come as easily for Ohio State's offense this week as they did a week ago. And listen, Dan, we talk about some injuries on the Wisconsin side, but of course, Ohio State has some of those you know, of its own because heading into the last game, we've already touched on some of this, but you know, we weren't expecting to see Josh Proctor and Tanner McAllister, two starting safeties for the Buckeyes, you know, come out of the tunnel not wearing their, you know, pads and everything like that coming into last game. And then we, we saw Mike Hall, he was suited up for the game, but that he doesn't play at all for the Buckeyes, perhaps the, the defensive MVP for the Buckeyes through the first two games. Then we see a couple guys suffer injuries actually during the game as well. We already talked about Henderson. He came away from that game wearing a big you know, brace or walking boot on his uh, left leg. We already kind of thought it was a, a left leg injury. Then, you know, Cam Brown, we touched touch on that as well. Him leaving the game. Jordan Hancock does not sound like he will play for the Buckeyes. I mean, that's a that's a long list of guys, especially starting guys, you know, remove Hancock from the, that list. And all those guys are basically starters for the Buckeyes. And, you know, Ryan Day has said that most of those guys are dealing with short-term Situations and that the Ohio State will need them on Saturday, but that does not—that doesn't necessarily mean that they are 100% guaranteed to play on Saturday, which is what you know Ryan Day has stopped short of saying. He said on the radio yesterday, and then kind of followed up on Tuesday at the press conference by saying, you know, they're kind of working through rehab right now, short-term injury situations. But Dan, like I, I just don't. When, when Ryan Day says it, I still kind of think to myself. Nah, a couple of those guys might still, you know, end up not playing at all. Like I, I don't know if I fully believe that they're all going to be 100% ready to go in a game where they could certainly use all those guys to be at their best. Yeah, I mean, he said two weeks ago that he thought Jackson Smith and Jigba could play against Arkansas State and Julian Fleming could play against Arkansas State, and they didn't. And then, you know, he said last week that, you know, Jordan Han- he was hoping Jordan Hancock would be back. He's obviously changed his tune this week. But last week he was saying he thought Jordan Hancock might be back against Toledo. He said Cameron Babb might be back against Toledo. He said Mike Hall wouldn't miss any time. So I, I think Ohio State fans are understandably skeptical now when they hear Ryan Day using vague terms like, you know, sh- short-term, not long-term. We'll hopefully be back this week. You know, he, he, 
he's being intentional about that. He doesn't he doesn't want to give too much away. But yeah, I think it's really if we're being realistic, it's to be determined on all those guys. We'll we'll see. I mean, I I, I believe him in the sense that I don't think any of those guys are going to be out for a long time. I I also believe that the threshold at which a guy is going to play this week is going to be a little different than the threshold last week because I think Ohio State knew going into last week's game, okay, we probably don't need Mike Hall or Josh Proctor or Tanner McAllister to win this game. We, we don't need to take any chances putting Travion Henderson or Cam Brown back in the game because we're already winning and controlling the game. And so I think, the, I think Ohio State had reason to be extra cautious with anybody dealing with any injury at all last week and I think that's what Ohio State did. I think this week going into a conference game that should be more competitive I I think probably some of those guys who weren't on the field last week probably would be playing this week but I also think it's certainly fair to not go oh Ryan Day said he hopes they'll all be back this week. That means they'll all be back this week because he said that for the last couple of weeks, and that is not always aligned with how many guys have actually played. Yeah, you know, it was kind of like with the, the Akron game last year, right, where, where C.J. Stroud sat out. I think Zach Harrison sat out. Uh, several several you know starting guys ended up sitting out before the Buckeyes then went into Big Ten play against – it was Rutgers last year, right, the, the opener for the Buckeyes. But, Dan, yeah, so Ohio State is favored by 18 points in this matchup over Wisconsin, a pretty big margin with the over-under at 57 Dan, what is your score prediction for this one? Well, it's interesting because the over-under actually opened at 51.5 points, and it's now all the way up to 57. So I think that tells you that people are expecting probably a little more offense than uh, I mean, from Ohio State than maybe odds makers initially expected, maybe a little bit more offense from Wisconsin than they initially expected too. But I'm going to go under. I'm, I'm going to go Ohio State 34 Wisconsin 10. I I think it is going to be, like I said, I think it's going to be a similar game to Notre Dame, which gives me confidence that I think Ohio State's defense can keep a low number on the board. I think Ohio State's offense is, now that it's clicking, I think Ohio State's offense is going to score more points against Wisconsin than it did against Notre Dame. But I still don't think things are going to come easily for the offense in this game. And I think Wisconsin will try to limit possessions and you know, limit the amount of amount of opportunities Ohio State has to score touchdowns. And so I was t- I was tempted to go a little bit higher on Ohio State, but I'm going to go 34-10 Buckeyes. Danny, you scared me for a minute there when you said 34, and I was going to have to pull up the receipts that I already had my score prediction written here in case you had the exact same score as me. But I'm going to go Ohio State 34. Wisconsin 20, so still under the over-under there, but just by a small margin. And, you know, I do not have Ohio State covering the the spread there either, which I don't think I've predicted them to do in any game so far this season, if if I uh, correctly. But, yeah, I like your, your, your reasoning there and your logic there. The only thing is that I think, you know, the Ohio State defense is, is going to give up a little more, you know, offensive production to Wisconsin than I think you're foreseeing. I mean, you know, I think we've seen, you know, we just talked about, Toledo having some success against the Buckeye defense, despite the fact that that was, you know, for very different reasons and stylistically and everything like that. But I think, you know, the, the running threat, this might be a game where Ohio State has, you know, not quite the same level of, of dominance against the run, considering what Wisconsin's capable of doing in that regard. And so I think Wisconsin's going to score a little bit more, but Ohio State's still going to finish with a two touchdown lead to stay undefeated as they begin their Big Ten schedule here. 
Another big night game equals another big recruiting weekend for Ohio State. A five-star defensive end, Keon Keeley, is going to be returning to campus for the second time in a month. He really enjoyed his experience at the Notre Dame game. And so that certainly seems to be an encouraging sign for Ohio State that Keon Keeley is going to be back on campus for the second time in a month. A lot of people view Alabama as the front runner in that recruitment, but I don't think he'd be coming back on his own dime if he wasn't at least seriously considering Ohio State. And so certainly that's a big development for Ohio State on the recruiting side of things. A bunch of other top prospects will be on campus this weekend as well. And not going to be quite the spectacle from a recruiting standpoint that the Notre Dame game was, but still Ohio State benefiting from it slate of early night games and that it makes it easier for guys who have to travel a long distance to be able to come to these games and kind of creates that environment that they want to welcome recruits to. And as Ohio State wears its all black uniforms for what Ohio State Sports Information Director Jerry Emig wants us to clarify that it's a quote, wear black game. They don't want to call it a blackout. I'm sure there's a reason for that. They want to call it a wear black game, but they are encouraging fans to wear black to the game. Ohio State will wear its all black uniforms for the fourth time time and it should be a, another great environment in the shoe yeah, you know you, you guys out there can pretend that those black alternate uniforms look better than they i think they actually do you know but that's not you know we don't have to talk about that but yeah it, it was funny hearing ryan day say that you know it, considering that ohio state's had these three night games to open up the season here out of the first four he was saying you know i really don't mind when the games are done at about 4 30 and i've got the rest of the day to just kind of relax you know that, that kind of goes double for the the media as well considering the the hours that we're up until during some of these late games but yeah it should be a, another you know big recruiting you know pro recruiting a uh, type of atmosphere for the house state we saw how successful that was in week one with notre dame coming in and all the celebs and everything like that that were in attendance and uh, yeah, but then let's look around at some other stuff that happened in the Big Ten here quickly, because there were some other, you know, big matchups that took place, of course, some upsets as well. Michigan State losing to, you know, Michael Penix Jr. and the Washington Huskies. Purdue losing its second game out of the first three. You know, Nebraska looked like it, it might, you know, put Oklahoma on upset alert very early in that one, getting the first touchdown. We're thinking, you know, at that point, you know, could the, the, the Huskers possibly have a little bit of a post Scott Frost, you know, boom here. Obviously parting ways with the Nebraska head coach after last, the, the previous week upset loss. But, you know, that one turned out the other way. It unraveled pretty quickly there for the Huskers as Oklahoma ends up rolling Nebraska. And yeah, Dan, what else kind of caught your attention from around the conference this past weekend? Well, I think the worst loss of a weekend for the Big Ten had to be Northwestern losing to Southern Illinois, an FCS team that <laughs> I believe was 0-2 going into that game. So that was a very bad loss for Northwestern, who seems to still be hungover from its trip to Dublin to start the season. <laughs> Northwestern, not right now, not trending toward that even year success that we've seen from them in the past. You know, they did manage to beat a weak Nebraska team in week one looking like it could be a struggle for them this year in the Big Ten West of a lot of teams in the West seem to have issues I mean I think you know I'm actually starting to wonder you know is, is Minnesota maybe the team to beat in the Big Ten West I mean, they've been dominant in their first three games although them like Michigan uh, those two teams have really not played anybody they uh, Michigan actually statistically had the easiest non-conference schedule 
in the country. So it's going to be interesting to see how they look as they begin conference play this week against Maryland. But I think, you know, teams that have impressed me, you know, I mean, Michigan's looked good, but again, they haven't played anybody. Penn State had a big win this past weekend, dominated Auburn. 41 to 12. I think that was an impressive result for Penn State that made me a little bit more of a believer in, in the Nittany Lions because I've I've been kind of on the fence with them, but you know, for them to go and and really dominate Auburn in that fashion, I think that is a promising sign for the Nittany Lions as a as a big ten contender this year. And I, I was a little surprised by you know Michigan State losing to Washington, although that was a prime example of a game of Vegas knows best because Michigan State was an underdog all week and I'm like that you know I'm like why like shouldn't they be favored over Washington but Vegas no Vegas knew best uh, Michael Penix Jr. as you mentioned having a big game against Michigan State who still seems to have some issues in pass defense which makes me think we could be in for a pretty high scoring game when Ohio State travels up to East Lansing in a couple weeks. Well, they do have a horseshit football coach. His, his words, not mine. Mel Tucker's words, not mine. That was a pretty good quote after that loss by the Spartans. But yet in Minnesota, I think they have the number two total offense in the country right now behind Ohio State, which kind of made me you know, raise my eyebrows there a little bit. And Michigan, you know, don't ask Jim Harbaugh about that non-conference schedule and how easy it is, Dan, because he will direct you to Ward Manuel straight away. If you recall his, his, his answers from Big Ten Media Day on that subject. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he doesn't set the schedule, so I'm not, I'm not uh, holding it against him. Just saying that Michigan still got to prove something. I mean, I, I mean, would I rank Michigan fourth right now? Probably. But do I know that Michigan actually is that caliber of team? No, because they just haven't played anybody. And so I think that Michigan Maryland game will be interesting. I mean, I, you know, I've, I, 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 you know, I, I don't think Maryland's a great team by any means, but I still think that passing offense is very dangerous with Talia Tagovailoa and those receivers. So that's a game, you know, probably watch a little bit of that in the noon hours while we wait for the night game because I'll be, I'll, I'll be interested to see, you know, maybe if Maryland gives Michigan more of a test than people might expect, and if not, then I think that'll be, you know, if Michigan goes out there and dominates that game. Then it'd be like, all right, we got to take the Wolverines seriously. Like they're, they're, they're a real threat. But uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see, you know, when they play really their first real competition of the year. How does Michigan look? Yeah, and Dan, outside of the Big Ten, you know, like you said there with Washington, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been a big Michael Penix fan, for, you know, for a long time. The fact that he's left-handed, first of all, you always are kind of drawn to guys that throw the football with their left hand. And he, like the, fir- the first three games, I don't think he's thrown less than 337 yards in a game. I think he's got 10 touchdowns to one interception right now. You know, a very good season for him. And he's, you know, quietly creeping into that, you know, kind of second tier Heisman conversation. If you look at the odds, I think he's maybe eight or nine or in, in, in the, the latest ones I was looking at there. I would certainly love to see him, you know, continue to have a, a great season there after leaving Indiana, having some success with Washington and still knocking off Big Ten teams as well. Dan, I know you seem to be, you know, quite excited about what Kansas is doing at the moment because, you know, th- this is not the hardwood, Dan. This is not the basketball court, but it doesn't matter because the Jayhawks are making noise, you know, here in September anyway with a 3-0 undefeated start right now. 
And do you think that, that they could challenge some of the, the, the heavy hitters in the Big 12 as the season keeps going, Dan? Might be a little too early to say that, but yeah, Kansas and Duke are going to play each other in a matchup of 3-0 and teams in football this weekend. You don't, you don't get to say that very often. I do think that ESP made the wrong decision for college game day this week. I think they should have gone to Lawrence. I mean, again... Kansas is free and oh, that's a big deal in football. I, I think that would have been more fun than going to Florida, Tennessee, but you know, ESPN's got to do what it's got to do. But yeah, I mean, Kansas, Kansas having a great start to the year. I, I think it certainly makes Lance Leopold an interesting name to monitor in Nebraska's coaching search. I think that would make an awful lot of sense if he's interested in making the jump to Nebraska, perhaps Nebraska's football budget a little bit bigger than Kansas. But yeah, I mean, I mean, doing a heck of a job there at a, at a program that's been, you know, kind of known as a laughing stock in, in the Big 12 and in Power 5 football. Kansas, you, you can make a case that they should be ranked this week. So maybe if they beat Duke and get to 4-0, maybe they will be. Yeah, then Appalachian State just can't stop producing a magic to start the season. I mean, that, that's obviously ever since the big Michigan upset game that 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 program is is synonymous with just you know miraculous occurrences and that seems to to be to be having a a kind of a a second coming this year as well Dan yeah I mean was it the first game of a season they they could have beat North Carolina if not for two missed two-point conversions at the end of a game then they go and beat Texas A&M, and then they beat Troy on a Hail Mary so that game day actually did go to Boone last week and ended up getting a great game there yeah, Dan. Okay. Anything else from the college football side of things before we move on to some basketball news here for the Buckeyes to wrap things up? No, we only got a couple minutes left, so let's get into some basketball talk because Ohio State did land a big commitment on Tuesday night from a top 50 overall player in the country, Tyson Chapman, a four-star guard from Minnesota in a move that you know we saw just a couple weeks ago that George Washington III, really just days after he made an official visit to Ohio State, announced his decommitment from Ohio State. And Tyson Chapman was also on campus at that time. And you kind of got the feeling maybe that was the precursor to Tyson Chapman eventually joining Ohio State's class. And, and that is ultimately what came to fruition. What does Tyson Chapman bring to the Buckeyes? And, and why maybe is he a better fit than George Washington for what Ohio State wants in this class. Yeah, well, first of all, Chapman is the the number 31 player in the country, which is going to make him the top-rated player in the 2023 class for the Buckeyes, which that was also true when Scotty Middleton came up. You know, in early August there, he was the top-rated guy. Now they're they're bringing in another guy that's even, you know, more highly ranked than that. I mean, that just shows that Ohio State just keeps this momentum rolling on the recruiting trail right now. The number eight combo guard in the country, the number one player in Minnesota. He's a 6'4 combo guard. If you watch his highlights, he has a very controlled pace to his game. He has a very kind of refined skill set on offense, a, a very advanced repertoire considering, you know, how young he is and how raw guys, you know, basketball prospects of this age can be. I mean, he's got a very smooth shooting stroke. He, he can, you know, he's, he's got a, a whole barrage of, of mid-range shots. He can get to the hoop. He can play make for others. Very impressive when you watch him kind of play. And yeah, I think with, with George Washington, obviously they play, you know, the, the same position there at combo guard, but, but Chapman's got like two inches of height on Washington, he just looks bigger. He's not necessarily the the world's you know most insane athlete, but but still a very good athlete as well. And I think really just what I'm talking about with that, the his his kind of control and, and pace. You know, he doesn't let guys kind of speed him up. And I think that 
that's that might be a, a, a difference that I've seen between the two guys play. I've seen Washington play in person a little bit. And just, uh, you know, Chapman's kind of control over the game and, and that kind of calm demeanor definitely puts sets him apart from Washington, I think, when I watch the two guys play. And it's, it's, a, big, it's a big land for Ohio State, Dan, because like I said, you know, pulling in a, a top 10 recruiting class this past season, this year, Chapman's, you know, commitment puts Ohio State to number five in the country uh, with this recruiting class. And, you know, for, for everyone out there that's wondering about, you know, Bronny James and things like that, I've had a couple of conversations, and, and from what I'm hearing, I believe Chapman's going to be the, the final high school recruit in Ohio State's 2023 class. You know, anything is possible. Anything's possible. But I, I think Bronny James is probably going to make a very last-minute decision anyway in his recruitment. And, you know, while you can't rule anything out, I think that it's, it's, it's safe to say that I, I don't think we're going to see Bronny James necessarily in Columbus. But, hey, you know, you can always, you know, Cross your fingers and things of that nature. Devastating news for all the people who have been holding out hope for Bronny James to be a Buckeye. But it is it is looking like a very strong class for Ohio State. Three top 50 players in the class in Tyson Chapman, Scotty Middleton, and Devin Royal, as well as a, a true center, which I know I know Chris Holtman wants people to know, but he is bringing in a, a true center in Austin Parks to round out that class. So, you know, overall, I think, you know, it's, it's a really strong class for Ohio State, you get that combo guard, you get a couple guys with versatile games on the wing in Middleton and Royal, and then that center in Austin Park. So kind of checking all the boxes there. And like you said, probably the last high school recruit in the class, but if the last couple years have told us anything, probably a good chance that there will be some sort of perhaps unforeseen roster movement that ends up leading to a transfer to also joining the team down the line. Oh yeah, for sure. That that you know, it seems to always be the case in this day and age. And you know, it, it actually you know stuff I'm I, I wrote in my in my commitment pieces about Chavin is that you know him getting to Columbus in the first place has kind of happened because of some roster movements and things like that. Things you have to be prepared for as the leader of a college basketball program in this day and age. But Dan, you know, in terms of the actual current and forthcoming Ohio State basketball team, basketball media day is going to be coming up. Next Monday, the season's creeping up, you know, closer than than anyone might think it is. You know, obviously, November 1st is the date of that season opening exhibition for the Buckeyes at home. Dan, anyone you're particularly interested in talking to at that media day session, assuming we get to talk to to everyone on the roster? I think you could probably guess who I'm really looking forward to talking to the most. The ghost, the ghost of Jimmy Soto. Stuff? No, no, no. Bryce Sensum, oh, yeah. I've been uh, riding that that hype train for him to have a big year for Ohio State. So yeah, look, I mean, really looking forward to just seeing all the new guys because I mean, it, it, I've talked. I mean, you've talked to some of them, but I've talked to very few players on this team because most of them weren't on the team last year. So I mean, I've talked to Zed Key and Eugene Brown and, and Justice Suing. I've talked to Kalen Etzler. Other than that, I don't think I've talked to anybody else who's on the roster for this year. So just to get to, you know, meet those guys for the first time and 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 kind of get to, you know, see what they're like in person, I, I'm just interested for that. I think that makes, you know, it's, it's all, this, this preseason media day is always a little weird because it's like, it's a month before the season and it's right in the heart of football season so like i'm like i remember last year like i was gonna write a story on jimmy sodas and i just never ended up writing it because like i was busy writing about football and then like by the time i was gonna get back to writing it like he really wasn't playing so like there was just there just wasn't ever really like 
it just never really worked out for the story to be written. But you know, so it's, it's always kind of a bit of an it's kind of it's kind of an interesting balance. Like it's fun to get to talk to the guys, but we also know that like football is going to remain the focus for the next few months, at least from my end, for the most part. But I will be interested just to hear what all those guys have to say because I do think it's going to be like a really interesting season for. Ohio State basketball. I don't know how good of a season it's going to be in terms of like how good they'll be. I mean, I I really don't have any firm expectations for this team right now, but I just think it's going to be fascinating to see what this team is like with all these new guys. And I think Media Day on Monday will give us a little bit of a sense, start to paint that picture for us a little bit more of what the team could look like this year. Yeah, for sure. I, I talked to a, a good portion of, of the new team, new players for the Buckeyes at a Kingdom League and stuff like that going out there uh, to watch those guys play for the first time, some of them. But, you know, some of the guys I, I haven't gotten to talk to yet, Sean McNeil, who we've heard a lot about being like a, a leader for this team, a guy that, you know, I don't know if, if people necessarily thought that that would be his role coming in as, as a transfer guy. Tanner Holden as well, Isaac Likely and Roddy Gale. Roddy Gale, really a guy that you know, he, I think he was the, the the second rated, or was he maybe even the the top rated player in Ohio State's 2022 class? But but he doesn't hasn't been talked about nearly as much. I feel like as some of the, those other guys like Bruce Thornton, Bryce sense about this offseason because he's kind of dealt with some injury issues. I'm I'm, I'm interested to talk to him. And, and yeah, the, the whole team is definitely, especially this time of year, the fact that we haven't actually seen these guys all on the court together, unless you're Adam Jardy and you went to the Bahamas. It's 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 going to be interesting to start out the year to see kind of the baseline for these guys and what the expectation is going to be whether or not it's you know higher than, than maybe some of us are expecting right away. Well, thanks for listening in to this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays, Ohio State playing Wisconsin on the football field on Saturday at 7.30 p.m. We'll also make sure everybody out there knows if you're going to be on campus Saturday, come check out the 11 Dubgate. That will be right next to the Varsity Club on Lane Avenue. There's a lot more information about that on 11warriors.com, but all, all proceeds from the 11 Dubgate will benefit special olympics olin tangy so a great cause there i'm gonna be out there for a little bit early on before i head over to the stadium to do my media duties and i'm sure griffin and some of the rest of us will be stopping by as well so if you're looking for something to do before the game on saturday be sure to check out 11 dubgate and be sure to check out 11 warriors.com for all of our pre-game during the game post-game coverage as always And we will be back next week.